Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. It's good to be back. I've been on a two-month hiatus after undergoing emergency surgery and an extended hospital stay. It's been a long, slow recovery, but I finally regained the strength and clarity of mind to string a few ideas together once again as I resume my weekly sermon podcast. I learned a few things about myself and my faith during my ordeal, and I thought it might be of some value to share these hard-earned lessons with you. I hope it will be helpful for you to hear these things to prepare you for similar times you may face or put into perspective past crises you have experienced. And I know that it will help me process my experiences and move on. A word of warning, I intend to get personal. Nonetheless, I hope that you will find what I have to say appropriate. Lesson number one. Suffering is a powerful force that can lead to abandonment and forsakenness. Matthew 27:46 says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forgive me if I begin with the most troubling of the lessons I learned while I was sick, but that's necessary for me to put everything else in context. The first thing that I really came to appreciate was the power of suffering. Previously, I had only an academic understanding of suffering. I could read the words of Jesus from the cross where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I could never really relate to this cry of pain and abandonment. As a matter of fact, I found it surprising that Jesus, the one reputed to be God incarnate, could exhibit such weakness when confronted by adversity. Foreseeing what was going to happen, before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup from me. He did not seek and would not be spared the full experience of human suffering. As Jesus expresses, suffering involves more than physical or psychological pain. Suffering produces a soul-crushing sense of abandonment. We may experience acute pain when we are having a tooth filled at the dentist, but that passing pain does not qualify as suffering. These times of real darkness are best expressed in Psalm 88, which says, My soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves." I often hear people, in an attempt to be comforting, say that suffering makes us stronger. Excuse the expression, but horse-pucky. Those people haven't really suffered recently. 
Suffering tears down. It does not build up. We have to rely on something else for that. In the midst of suffering, we feel abandoned and forsaken. Why is God, if there even is a God, allow me to experience this? I vividly remember about a week after my surgery, facing another endless night tethered to my hospital bed by every IV line and drain tube imaginable, and I did not seem to be making any progress. If anything, I was growing more miserable by the day. I looked at my wife, grabbed her hand, and said, I don't think I can do this. And I meant it. She, of course, cried and squeezed my hand and said, You're going to get through this. Fortunately, she was right. But that was my dark pit moment. And at that moment, had the words come to me, I might have cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And meant it. Half clothed in a hospital gown, I was as naked and vulnerable as Jesus on the cross. But enough of that. What I really want to share is how I was rescued from the pit, or more accurately, how I am still being pulled from the darkness into the light. In the end, I want this to be a tale of redemption or even resurrection. So lesson number two, we are not alone. Paul writes in Corinthians, God has arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. That passage from the Apostle Paul was addressed to the church community that he'd founded in the Greek city of Corinth. These were words of encouragement for a group who were struggling against the odds for survival. And for centuries, the church would face hardship and persecution. The encouragement came from the community itself. We are all made stronger when we are bound together by ties of faith and commitment. It worked. To this day, people draw strength and encouragement from members of their church families. In the church where I served as a pastor for many years, caring for the sick, the hospitalized and the dying was a main function of our life together. We had a group of people who visited people in the hospital and in their homes. The members of our pastoral staff devoted much of their time doing the same. I witnessed over and over again how we got the suffering through their misery through these visits. Paul referred to this community as the body of Christ. Christ was incarnate in community. Unfortunately, fewer and fewer of us are part of such church communities. We're cut off from Christ's body and we suffer because of that loss. However, most of us are blessed to be a part of other types of communities from which we can draw comfort and support. The most important and common of these communities is family. As a family, we unite around 
one of our members when they are suffering. You know, just receiving a call from my sister when I was sick and hearing her concern for me in her voice gave me a burst of energy, energy and hope during one particularly dark afternoon. When one of our family suffers, we all suffer together. We each bear part of the weight of the pain. We may be in the pit, but we're not alone. In the darkness, we can hear their voices and reach out and touch them. Family robs suffering of one of its essential tools, the sense of isolation and abandonment. There are other types of families of which we are part. Many of us are bonded together in work families. For many of us, a large part of our time is spent in the company of people with whom we work. In a healthy work environment, associates share almost a familial bond. We suffer together. We celebrate together. We mourn together. We give thanks together. We pray together. We are one body. Far too many people lack access to either of these types of supportive communities. They may have to rely on health care professionals who visit them in their homes or care for them in hospitals, rehabilitation facilities, and nursing homes. In the early days of my hospitalization, I was not allowed visitors because of COVID restrictions. I was cared for at night by a young nurse who years ago had been a confirmation student of mine. And I could see the concern and compassion in her eyes, although her face was masked. That concern was demonstrated over and over again by the professionals who attended to me. God bless them. We became part of a family suffering together. When I was finally re released, we rejoiced together. Now, this is a simple lesson. We need each other when we're suffering. It should give us hope to know that we will not be alone when we're stricken. This knowledge can encourage us to strengthen our ties with church, our family, friends, and co-workers. We should give thanks for the support of healthcare professionals who sacrifice us and suffer with us. As Jesus tells the righteous what they will hear in the final judgment, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Lesson number three. Physical touch and human contact heal. Luke 4.40 says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any, had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. During World War II, orphanages in England were crammed with infants orphaned by parents killed in combat and during the bombings. Same was true, of course, throughout war-torn Europe. Although the babies were provided with proper nourishment and physical care, they were deprived of the cuddling and intimate contact that they would have received from their mothers and families. Their care was provided with the efficiency of an assembly line. 
it soon became apparent that something was lacking in their care. Something was wrong. These institutionalized babies failed to develop normally. They didn't put on weight or exhibit normal cognitive development. Some of them withered and died. The phenomenon was so common it's given the name failure to thrive syndrome. Sensitive nurses caring for children diagnosed what was missing, human touch. Eventually, holding and caressing the babies became as routine an element of their care as feeding and changing their diapers. I witnessed a similar phenomenon at the onset of the AIDS epidemic in San Francisco. The time I was a volunteer hospice caregiver and visited men dying of AIDS in their homes. In those early days, there existed a great uncertainty about the cause of AIDS, how it was spread, and just how contagious or infectious it was. Consequently, these young and mostly gay men became pariahs, abandoned out of fear and shame by their families, their friends, and their churches. Even members of the medical community were fearful in their presence. They became the modern-day equivalent of those World War II orphan babies. Consequently, one of the biggest tragedies of the AIDS epidemic was that so many died wasting away, afraid and alone. Due to brave and dedicated members of the medical community and the growth of the hospice movement, people with AIDS were literally embraced again eventually as full members of humanity who are freely offered the healing benefit of loving touch. People with AIDS have emerged from the dark ages of alienation and isolation. Well, during the COVID pandemic, we've witnessed again the terrible effects of isolating the sick. We're stricken by the early images of wards full of ventilated COVID patients separated from their loved ones, able only to communicate via Zoom. A touch screen is no substitute for the touch of a hand. They were even separated from their caregivers by protective clothing or hazmat suits. So medically, medical necessity aside, we need to recognize the healing power of touch. We can take every opportunity to, pardon me the old ad slogan, to reach out and touch someone. Do you need a hug has become a trite and often parodied phrase. It shouldn't be. We all need a hug. Hugs heal. Lesson four, prayer has power over suffering. First Thessalonians 5.15 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I was taught to pray by my old German grandma. When I was little, she and I knelt by my bed every night, folded our hands and said, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Never occurred to me that it seems a bit scary to put a child to bed at night pointing out the possibility that they might not wake up in the morning. But in the warm, stout presence of Grandma, 
Those words were reassuring and comforting. Then she would kiss me on the cheek, her whiskery chin tickling my cheek, and tuck me in. I guess those early memories were the reasons that as I lay in my hospital bed, sometimes in daytime, sometimes at night, I would find myself automatically closing my eyes and praying, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And that was followed immediately by, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That was pretty much my prayer arsenal. And Grandma was there by my side. What more can I say? Prayer of any kind is a comfort in times of suffering. Not only our own prayers, but those who are prayed for us. When you tell someone, I've been praying for you, it's comforting to know that someone is thinking about you and interceding for you at that highest level. Sharing prayer is a way that we are bonded together in that body of Christ or that community I was talking about. God already knows what we want and what we need. Prayer is the confirmation that others know too. So pray without ceasing. Lesson number five, the final lesson, enjoy each moment of life and don't fret about the future. One thing I've learned about suffering is it doesn't end when they take out the drains and IV tubes and dismiss you from the hospital. Suffering goes home with you in the form of continuing fear and anxiety. Thoughts like, what if this happens to me again? Creep in around the edges of your consciousness. Past trauma leads a shadow over your future. So now as I move forward, and get stronger every day. I encourage my spiritual strengthening and healing with the words of Ecclesiastes. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Amen. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you return next week. In the meantime, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you with grace and mercy. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace.